Welcome to the Skeptic Wire. Fourteenth of March, two thousand twelve, episode forty-nine of the Skeptic Wire, of which you are listening to, not some other podcast, not called the Skeptic Wire. This is the Skeptic Wire. Hello. Oh, <laughs> oh did I say that already? Yeah. So I'm, your, I'm your confused host, Gary Law. Uh, with me, as per always, is Greg Perrine. I'm confused. Aren't we all? And Donna Swafford. I'm disgusted and repulsed, and I can't look away. <laughs> Mike? <laughs> Very accurate at times. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. What uh, what birthdays do we have on this day of all days? Well, today is March 14th, and it is famous actually for several things. Pie. Uh, yes. One of which being that it is Pie Day. It is three one four, the first three digits of Pi. I actually prefer July twenty second as Pi Day. Yeah. You would. Oh it's twenty two over seven. I, I actually I posted this to my personal Facebook page earlier today that uh, what is it, uh, March 14th, 1592, or whatever it is, would, one, be, actual would be the actual Pi Day, because that extends it, those additional digits, and a specific right. time Otherwise, at 6 we'll, in the we'll morning. we'll have to wait for the, uh, to get into the five-digit numbers before it comes around again. Yeah, something like that. So, anyway. <laughs> yes, Pi Day. So, but... <laughs> Today is Pi Day, 3.14. In addition to being Pi Day, there are several famous people with birthdays today, like Billy Crystal, Michael Caine, and if I wanted to be really boring, I could spend the next couple minutes talking about Albert Einstein, whose birthday is today. But I'm not going to do that. Who? Exactly. (laughs) It sounds like a a Nazi name to me. Oh, God. (laughs) Send your letters to Gary Lawn at... (laughs) Skepticwire at gmail.com. God, Gary. And he's going to cut that out. Because he's the master editor and he can control everything now. That's right. He can even make me sound like I'm saying purple monkey dishwasher over and over and over again. That's right. As a chipmunk. Exactly. (laughs) Do you guys know who Samuel Truett Cathy is? Is? The guy who wrote the Cathy cartoons? No. Samuel... Uh, the guy who came up with the catheter? No. <laughs> this is actually better than making you guess whose birthday it is. Uh, born in Eatonton, Georgia in 1921 on March 14th. He is the founder of the Chick-fil-A restaurant chain. Oh, okay. Ooh, bad. Yes. He, uh, he fought in World War II in the U.S. Army, so good. Uh, he started a chain of restaurants, originally called the Dwarf Grill because it was a very small <laughs> building. <laughs> Not that they were cooking dwarves. That um, would have been so much more interesting. Well, and of course he had to change it because the little people got a little bit upset, I'm sure. Well, Just this was back bit. in 1946 where it wasn't so much of a deal. Oh, okay. Yeah. It actually, uh, that, yeah, that... No one gave yeah, a damn they, about dwarves back then. That original, but I was going to say, they only got a little bit upset. <laughs> 
In fact, the the restaurant that was named Dwarf Grill is still in effect, and they did rename it to Dwarf House. Because <laughs> that's so much better. Exactly. I don't know why, but that's what they did. What was the, the first one was Dwarf Grill? Yes. Yes. And then they did it. Well, at least they're moving up. Something yes, like that. Yes, as opposed to cooking them, they're yeah. now housing them. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So um, part of the original menu from Dwarf Grill was the Chick-fil-A sandwich. Uh, and that is what they have um, franchised. That's the word I was looking for. They franchised out to uh, several hundred locations, um, pr- mostly around the south, but it's starting to expand around the rest sure. of the country. And they, they, I'll, I'll admit, they, they do have a very clever and humorous uh, ad campaign with the, with with the cows. The eat more chicken. But you know thing. what? I'm very thankful. They use peanut oil. I have an allergy. I don't have to support them. (laughs) Well, you know why you don't support them? Mainly because of their wind-shaped foundation that Kathy established in 1984. Yes, it makes me happy that I can't support them. (laughs) (laughs) They are... This this organization, the wind-shaped foundation, is pretty notorious for supporting financially organizations such as the Marriage and Family Legacy Fund, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, the National Christian Foundation, Focus on the Family, Eagle Forum, Exodus International, which is a you-can-cure-the-gay kind of thing, (laughs) and um, Family Research Council. So, um, So, so yeah. Yeah, not entirely surprising because Mr. Kathy um, talks (laughs) about the Bible a lot as it is the, the... the guiding force in his life. And you know, I think I had a hairdresser by that name, Mr. Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> but in, in like their corporate offices, Chick-fil-A has a plaque on in their headquarters that says the, the, the purpose of the company is to glorify God. They are not open on Sundays. One of the few fast food establishments that are not open on Sundays they actually go into pretty. Well, see, deep. I don't. I I have no problem with them yeah. not being. Yeah, they're a privately owned organization, uh, but and they, they also the fact that they they honor that. Although yeah. you know, Saturday's a Sabbath, but hey, <laughs> they also go really deep into uh, background checks for especially their franchise owners of making sure that they are good Christian people and that they've never sinned and stuff like that. So they really kind of go down the rabbit hole just a bit. But the worst thing about them, and the reason why I mention them on a skeptical podcast, is their anti-gay stance, and they're pretty notorious for that nowadays. So S. Truett Cathy, born March 14th, 1921. But I understand that Chick-fil-A is quite tasty. What Uh, else do we got to talk about? Please, let's talk about something else. Oh, okay. Well, another thing that pissed people off. How about the Reason Rally? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's coming up next weekend. Uh, not this weekend when, when this will be, this podcast will be released, but one week after. Yes, the March 24th. And we're all going to be there, one way or t'other. On the mall in Washington, D.C. We're going to have to figure out the three of us some way for our listeners to identify us. Besides going to our Facebook page, liking our Facebook page, and looking at the pictures of us on there. Hmm, good point. So, yes, Reason Rally next weekend, um, by the time you guys listen to this on podcast land. Um, And so we'll all be there, and we'll probably be participating in some of the after parties. We haven't decided on which ones yet, but we'll try to – I think we'll 
keep it central and post these kind of things to our Facebook page of where we are. Maybe we'll it'll be on our Twitter feed, that sort of thing. Now, I do I do have a, a slight. I, I can't believe I didn't uh, talk. We didn't talk about this really before, but it just kind of occurred to me, especially with uh, some of the things that have been happening with in politics and like with Doonesbury and and stuff. Is, is the reason rally? Um, is saying it's the largest gathering of uh, of the secular movement in world history, but they're really the people who are advertising the Reason Rally are really pushing the the atheist aspect of the secular movement, not necessarily just leaving God out of it, but the atheist, as in good without God, kind of thing. Right. And I think that that may be turning off. That that could be a turn off. And, and could could be a deterrent to to some people coming out because uh, if even if they are secular Americans or are great proponents for the separation of church and state, once you start equating it with the uh, good without God thing, uh, it could be they may f- uh, imagine that it's it's harmful to them to come out and be associated with that. So are you saying that it's going to turn off people who are dealing with the whole skeptics versus atheist argument, or are you talking more about it'll dissuade, say, um, non-religious Jews from coming out, or or yeah. secular Catholics or something yeah, like that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, religious people who believe in a secular uh, running of America. Okay. So religious people may find it difficult to to support the Reason Rally because of the strong atheistic stance that it seems to be taking. Because before this week, uh, it wasn't really established that it was uh, the atheist, because now the Reason Rally put up the big billboard, I mm-hmm. think it was in Washington, that said, uh, uh, good without God. Yeah, I believe it was. Well, I, I, I kind of actually disagree with you, Gary, on this, because I think... From the start, it has been an effort, the Reason Rally, to emphasize that there are, there is a large group of atheist Americans that should no longer be ignored as a constituency in but, politics. But, okay, but there's there's a difference between atheist Americans and secular Americans. I agree, and okay. I think the whole point of the rally was to emphasize the atheist Americans. Uh, but that's not what it says. It says secular movement in in which is not the atheist movement because the, the atheist movement is is a singular like atheist atheism uh so you have some people who have left the church you have some people who were never in the church but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're good that they're they're uh, reasonable or good thinkers because we know plenty of atheists and we have discussions with them on a regular basis who don't show that reason yeah. At times, yeah, because you have you have a lot of atheists who who do believe in the the it, it, alternative goes, kind of medicine, alternative yeah. crystals, uh, or, or or even more, more, or more deistic, you know, or you know fairies and or uh, out of body experiences and sending your you know your 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 astral body to Mars stuff under the category of woo. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, not even just necessarily woo, because I know plenty of. Atheists who were also truthers and birthers and I call that woo too. <laughs> <laughs> but but my 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 point is that by by tying the reason rally specifically uh, to the the um, the atheistic side that yeah we're, to celebrate living without God right that's uh, what the which is 
That that is, I think that does a little bit of damage of of getting some people who who might have come out uh, wary of coming out. And I know, I know this is this is what you know, PZ Myers and, and a lot of the the more uh, strident atheists, <laughs> the, the tone wars, the, the, the whole tone wars, yeah. And because I, I obviously I agree with the whole sentiment, but I think if they wanted to get more people out, that they could have focused more, ne- not necessarily on the without God aspect, even though that's exactly what <laughs> secularism is, right. but doing more of the community of, of using the term secular or those kind of terms without without tying it to the atheist. I, I understand what you're saying that you we might have had a bigger pre- presence there if it was just more generally secular, more separation of church and state emphasis. But I actually don't see anything bad about really emphasizing, especially in the election year, that there are a big group of people who explicitly do not believe in God and do not want it part of our politics in a big way. I think it actually, it's more of a finely chiseled point of we are, you know, we are a big group of people who do not believe in God, you know, as opposed to this general, which is important, idea of non-religious, non-religious and government people. I think it's nice to have a specific spear point of we are atheists, listen to us from time to time. I don't think that's a bad thing. I do agree that we may have less people in the National Mall that day because it's specifically atheistic, but I don't see it as a bad thing. I th- I think you have one, you know, you have, you know, John Stewart's reason rally was more about, hey, let's not be angry with each other, and it was a very general thing, and that was good for what it was, but sometimes you need a specific, you know, thousand, you know, a million moms march about moms. Or <laughs> You mean 40,000 moms? <laughs> well, I don't know... If there was a the, million mom march, the but uh, man march. March. it's it's like I see it as having in that context saying, you know, a million mom march might be a li- effective in a different way, but not a bad way to say a million parent march. If you're trying to focus on mom issues and we're trying to pu- focus on atheistic issues, okay, but again. <laughs> They're they're calling themselves secular, not atheist, and that's that that that's that's the difference. That it's it's a very it's a small difference, but you know humanists, uh, secularists may not necessarily be atheists. You can be a secularist uh, as far as government is concerned right. and the running of the country, and still be a Christian, Jew, Muslim, or whatever. Right, but I do think this is kind of a we're here, we're non-godly, get used to it kind of thing. So okay, we we agree to maybe disagree. Maybe we should have uh, asked Sean Faircloth this before we started rattling on about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm being the the wishy-washy tone person, and uh... well, no, and I I see your argument here because it has been always coached as. This reason rally, a place to gather to celebrate reason. And then it's had a subtle shift over the past couple of weeks to come celebrate atheism on the mall. And, and 
you know... Yeah, granted, we always knew because of the people who were showing up. Yeah, it's sponsored by <laughs> FFRF, Atheists of America, uh, Alliance of, uh, you know, American Atheist Alliance and International. I mean, all these right. kind of groups. Now, granted, yeah. big skeptics like, I think James Randi is still going to be there. And I don't know if the JREF is sponsoring it as well, which is not explicitly an atheist organization. Right. Uh, Camp Quest, uh, Center for Inquiry, Free Thought Society, um, Stiefel Free Thought, Society for, for Humanistic Judaism. Um, but, yeah, the good, the good majority of them are uh, Washington area secular humanists. Yeah. That's primarily atheistic Things that are supporting it. So. Yeah, so that's why I think you know, from the I beginning just, it's been pretty clear that it's atheist. But yeah, but now now it's really coming out because I've got the billboard up and the, and the whole thing. Yep. So anyway, contact us on our Facebook page. <laughs> Go like us on our Facebook page, and uh, we'll keep in contact with you and maybe find us if you're there. Uh, we uh, yeah, we'll we'll post on Facebook or or Twitter. Uh, our Twitter feed, wherever we're, we're, we happen to be standing <laughs> at the rally. <laughs> and um, I know I'll be also going to the American Atheist Convention. I'm still debating it. Okay. And I know I'm Gary has to get home. Uh, I'm going sightseeing, not singing. Sightseeing <laughs> on Sunday. I'm not going to the convention. I'm just, I, yeah, I was about to ask, how do you sight sing? I certainly love the mall. I am going to the Smithsonian. Oh, look, there's a statue. <laughs> See, I might join you for that one, though. <laughs> not bringing my guitar, so we have to be a cappella. So, speaking of other things, because I, I mentioned Doonesbury in that um, non-rant. And Doonesbury, this, this week... Uh, He's done something about the state of women's health in Texas, about a woman going in to get an abortion and having to go through all of the steps that uh, the Texas legislature and other people are trying to impose upon women trying to get an abortion, such as getting a transvaginal ultrasound, uh, amongst other things. And Doonesbury is doing a social commentary. They're always doing social commentary. <laughs> Doonesbury it's Doonesbury. Is. But, but this one has to do with women and apparently that will not do especially for those who read the comics pages so the so san antonio express news and other ones instead of running it in the comics are putting it on the editorial page which i think hopefully will get more eyes well it's also or get, more intelligent eyes it's also getting more <laughs> eyes just because of the fact that there are so many people who are out there protesting it yeah. look at what happened with the recent archie comic <laughs> Oh, Archie, oh, Archie had a gay marriage of a soldier and his partner. They got married. Certain Toys R Us's <laughs> were selling it. One million moms or 40,000 moms is just more accurate. Protested and literally it sold out. The copies are selling on eBay for 10 and 20 times the list price. Okay? The same thing People is... People were buying it just to burn it. <laughs> the same thing that is happening with Jamesbury. Same thing's happening with Doonesbury. Had uh, everybody not gotten their knickers and twists, uh, it probably just would have been, he, there, he, there goes Gary Trudeau again. I still think the only reason why people actually read The Catcher in the Rye is because every once in a while people try to ban it. <laughs> it's quite possible. Explain Harry Potter. People try to ban it. Yeah, but that's not the only reason why people read it, though. <laughs> and it's also at a fifth grade reading level. And all seven books are the same. 
Yep, pretty much. <laughs> so it's fun to read the same thing over and over again. Use your degree once again. Um, something about communication 101 or pre-101? Pre-101 is actually, well, really it's kind of this overview topic of graffiti in the world. Um, there's Those been a recent... Vandals. There's been a, a recent um, outpouring of papers Fresh talking papers. about, as opposed to traditional cave art, uh, you know, the, the bisons <laughs> and the horses. That's cave art. <laughs> scientists are looking at more of the little symbols that have kind of surrounded this cave art. Um, Were they penises? Actually, no. Aw. Um, because... So much for primate sexy time. <laughs> what they've also been doing is cataloging all of these symbols, and they've found some really interesting things. Um, example, in Israel, they were file, found appeals to God and hopes for the future, whereas in Pompeii, they found sexual innuendo and advertisements and poetry and some rather crude drawings. There were penises. <laughs> See, I got the penises. In so for- so the, you're talking about the, the graffiti in Israel? Or- Israel around um, graves. Where they'd have like the name, but then there'd be other symbols that people so there had were written burial in. sites that had some writings on the walls. And how old are those then? Those a years, are a I couple think. of thousand years, but they've also been tracing it back to the caves in Europe between fourteen and thirty thousand years. Hmm. Um, and one of the things that they started doing was, like I said, they started cataloging them. And what was happening is they noticed that there are certain symbols that are coming in arranged clusters. You know, they see the same sets like of... Like word, word, uh, word right. symbols. Right. Um, and this is... It's, it's causing quite a bit of controversy because amongst anthropologists, there is this great debate as to when language has developed, specifically written language, because it requires brains to think in a symbolic fashion as opposed to a concrete fashion. Hmm. Um... And right now, the recognized of written language is about 6,000 years ago, and it was by agrarian societies, and usually used in accounting. Um, that makes sense to me. But now, that you, like I said, with some of this stuff, it's, it's being pushed back now, possibly 30,000 years. And they're finding symbols on other than just cave walls. There were some teeth of a red deer and a necklace buried with a skeleton. Those teeth were not native to the area. So there had to be some form of trade. Well, and or, the, or they killed the person who owned that teeth and decided that teeth were pretty cool, kind of well, like, you know. Right, that's a form also, of trade, killing someone and taking their stuff. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> but the whole point was not only did these teeth have, were not native, they were also had symbols on them. Right, and they were the same symbols that had been seen in previous cave dwellings. And So now the debate is... Is this part of, quote, the Great Leap Forward, which is a huge debate among anthropologists. Some say that as anatomically modern human moved out of Africa and into Europe, they saw this evolution, this rapid evolution of culture and language and human behavior and symbology and toolmaking and boats and religion and musical instruments. And they were like technology across the board. Right. Now, the argue, some people argue that, you know, as they moved out, they had this great big thing. Others, anthropologists flat out say, that's a Eurocentric bullshit. Right. 
and that we were seeing that in Africa, but because of the climate differences, caves are a micro-ecosystem, and they've allowed some of this stuff to remain, whereas Africa, much drier, these things don't survive. Mm. Especially because most of this stuff was probably done on animal Skins, artifacts. Yeah. bone tools, which are known to, to perish. But, you know, one of the things that the article didn't talk about is the fact that Neanderthals also thought in these terms. They used flowers in burial ritual. They had an elaborate burial ritual that you didn't see in Homo habilis or Homo ergaster. You know, some of these other proto-humans before Neanderthalensis in a anatomically modern human. Hmm. So it did seem what they were emphasizing in this article was not necessarily that this these were words or that this was a language, but it was kind of pre-words, pre-language, kind of the development of that system where once we finally got it 10,000 years ago was much more codified and now we actually can see the evidence of it. It's it's like Yes, there were animals before the Cambrian explosion. We just noticed them a lot more because now they have hard shells. Like I said, there's a lot of arguments about when and how language develops. I mean, and it's an argument that anthropologists have been having for years and will continue to have for years. Um, Because the standard now is that a society is, in quote, modern until they have a written language, which actually lets out some of, like, the Incan and Mayan traditions, because they didn't have it, but they had a system of communication in forms of not type. Now, the argument is... is But, but they, they also had hieroglyphs. Too, hieroglyphs, but their hieroglyphs are a pictograph as opposed to a symbolic... Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. I mean, what makes B-E-A-R, as we write it, a bear? Or a squiggles in a Japanese character... Right. That is symbolic of something. It's not a drawing of a bear. Roar. <laughs> I thought that the, the hieroglyphs in in the Incan tradition were similar to the hieroglyphs in Egypt. In Egypt, right, where there were multiple meanings for the pictures. You can't. You, I mean, because you can't just say you know stork cat uh, guy on seat uh, toilet. Thing it doesn't mean anything, but you 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 know it, it does mean like the bird got caught by the cat, uh, and so the master ate and had to poop. <laughs> right, but the argument is is that written language, as humans have it, whether it is in kanji or cuneiform or English or Cyrillic. Because it is symbolic and it takes that extra bit of brain power to go from a concrete. Because no matter what, I mean, still you have store cat man on toilet. There's very concrete ideas in there. As opposed to stork, which could be, a cat could be, you know. But because you and I both speak, we know that that's how it goes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, it well, I, can't, I, can't, communal, I can't really speak in the depth of this because I, I don't. I don't really know. It requires a communal agreement. Okay. Well, you would think that the Incans and the other people had right. Had and see, that. that's one of those. Once again, it's back to that <laughs> argument over what defines a language, what defines communication. Hmm. 
going back to the squiggles in the cave, most of what the, are in these European caves are very detailed, very anatomically correct, not in a pornographic way, um, animals. Obviously, you've never seen the Venus of Willendorf. <laughs> Obviously not, but we're talking about these Anyway, these caves where mostly you have these animals, bison, deer, whatever, very well drawn. And in addition to the bison, deer, whatever, you have the these symbols that are mostly just kind of glossed over when people talk about these caves. Right. But this is more of an engrossed study in these symbols. I do have two personal theories on why these symbols are there. The first theory is kind of is kind of out there, but go with me on this one. I think um, that guy Banksy has developed a time machine, and he's just doing this as kind of a performance art thing. He's going back in time and adding these symbols to cave art. Could very well be. The better theory is that these these squiggles and symbols were something symbolic, but the I the when I was reading this article, it seemed to me that it was something like those old army films where you see the the troop huddle around in a circle and start drawing in the dirt of all right, you're there, you'll go to the fence there, and kind of like a football thing. The X may be you know symbolic of oh, you find these bison over at maybe X means mountain or something like that. You find so you're saying ba- it's more like a war plan. It's a plan of a, either. This is where and how you find these animals, kind of like a bee dance, tells the other bees where the flowers are, or they are like the X's and zeros and the arrows on a football diagram of American football for our international listeners, of where, you know, the the running back is going to go this way and the tight end is going to drop back and do this thing and dance and whatever. So it's either a plan of attack symbols or this is where you find this stuff kind of communication that way and either way it's still a language of a sort and that proto language that is just cool i i completely agree with you i like the fact that they are starting to look into look at these caves um and and see not just the big stuff but add in this little stuff also which you know because it was all put there. There is a reason for it. We will probably never know the true reason. You know, I'm sure that Cro-Magnon Man is probably laughing his ass off going, <laughs> look what I did. <laughs> you know, but also, this is also spurring on other studies. There's the um, Graffiti Archaeology Project that's been going on for years where a guy, has, he has formed a team. Um, and this is actually not affiliated with the university, but several universities are starting to use this information. He's got um, places in San Francisco, Chicago, and New York. Banksy? Where, no. He f- basically takes photographs of specific walls of the graffiti and how the graffiti is evolving. Hmm. Oh, fascinating. You know, and it's, Kind of like um, a time-lapse photography of different taggers and how right. they tag and how it changes. And he's basically done a time-lapse collage of all of these of these places in San Francisco, New York, L.A., and some other cities. Um, now, while it is not affiliated with the university, several universities are are starting to look into this and using it in some of their research. I know a couple of grad students who are looking into it. Um, you know, but once again, you know, two thousand years 
our graffiti is probably going to be very interesting to future anthropologists. Hell, for some reason, people are going to be interested in our tweets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's essentially what a lot of this stuff, like in Pompeii and Israel, that's all it was. It was, it was tweeting, early tweeting. It was the Kilroy was here. Or advertising Eat at Joe's. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Cool. That's quite huh. interesting. I hope something comes of it. Yay, yeah, science. Um, and actually, um, the catalogs are being compiled. Um, there's thir- Right now, there are over 13,000 items relating to some of the symbology in either caves or by grave sites or whatever in over 10 languages because most oftentimes it's specifically done in a particular culture. This is the first real compilation and it's being released over the next um, five years. So, Which is really cool because most of the study of history, whatever documents or whatever was written or is kept by the winners. Yeah, and winners write the history the books. And this is all other stuff. Right. This is more of a look at what the common man lived and wrote. And woman. Well, thank you. You're That's all sexist. I got. You're sexist. Racist. <laughs> Me? What? <laughs> yeah. The- only thing Everyone's a little bit racist, racist sometimes. Okay. Well, uh, thank you very much for that, Donna. Uh, speaking of learning, then, because we're, we're learning about the past. We've got uh, some... That was actually a pretty good transition. Okay. Congratulations, Gary. It's certainly better than talking about milk. I could do <laughs> a little... I could do a little piece on a primate sexy time bit. <laughs> hey, I rather enjoyed primate sexy time. <laughs> it was fun. Um... But we're not talking about that right now. We're talking about the, uh, actually it's no longer called the Texas Assessment of Basic Skills. It's the Texas Assessment of Knowledge and Skills, right? Tax test? Hold on. We have somebody here who knows all about it. What does tax stand for? Texas Assessment of Knowledge and Skills. That's However, it is in a stage of being revamped, and the new version is called Star. Star, not Star, Star, which stands for, I've got right here, uh, State of Texas Assessments of Academic Readiness. And the whole point behind this is trying to get uh, a, a larger majority of kids ready for college. So Some basic now, skills testing. It, yeah. The new STAR test is going to be 12 end-of-course exams uh, in 9th, 10th, and 11th grade. Wow. So total. So it's still three. Oh, okay. But three each in English, math, science, and social studies. It's not science, Oxford, comma, and social studies. It's science and social studies. Ah, okay. Put together. Because we know that science and social studies are, you know, equivalent. In not Texas math and it science. is. Um, and they're also supposed to be untimed tests. So while the original tax tests, and before that, I guess the tabs test, were half-day things, huh? I mean, we're talking a long time ago when I, yeah, take it. Rather than being a half-day exam, sort of a timed exam, it's not going to be untimed, and it's going to take them as long as it takes to finish them. But because it's going to be more in-depth, there aren't going to be standard um it's not going to be multiple choice fill in the you know, fill in the blank. They have to actually work out the problems. It's also going to be much longer test, but untimed. Yay! So the kid could just sit there for a week and be delivered sandwiches and keep taking the test. Uh, no, they will call a 
time eventually. Okay. They, 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 it's they somewhat untimely. It's, so it's like it's like unlimited bandwidth at AT and T. Well, <laughs> a, a couple weeks ago we had Dr. Allison on to talk to us about some medical issues, okay. but this week we have Teacher Mike. Teacher, Teacher Mike. Mike. Teacher Mike works. God, we're turning into a kids program. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, oh, yeah. Teacher Mike! <laughs> With swearing and yelling and primate sexy time. Yeah. Children where where, show, where is teach, teach the kids if possible? <laughs> <laughs> so, students will take 12 end of course exams, so three each for the 9th, 10th, and 11th grade. And they're mm-hmm. going to be far more in depth. Now, right. I understand the whole idea behind standardized testing. Mm-hmm. It's trying to categorize how well kids are doing in school so that you can. Go ahead. Uh, that's where Texas has deviated from the norm. Um, these standardized tests just see if they know what Texas has said they need to know for ninth grade, what they know for tenth grade, or whatever. Okay. It is, do you know this fact or not? Right. Can you do this skill? It does not test a spectrum. Therein lies the problem. Therein lies the problem, because just knowing... It doesn't allow for uh, different uh, learning capabilities, uh, thinking capabilities, different skill sets, uh, or different ways of thinking. Right. It, it's one, you know, it's a it's a cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. And it makes it very easy for the for people to peg and to say, you know, you're no good, you're good, you're no good, you're good. Right. What Texas also has done, and a lot of other, I think, have also done, is they've tied the scores to funding. It's sort of like Walmart doing their their price cuts. You always have to at Walmart. You always have to keep cutting uh, prices until pretty much you know you are giving them the the product, right. uh, which is why there's a huge turnover in what they sell. Texas is sort of the same way in that they always have to keep increasing their score and doing better each time. And if they don't uh, increase their score by ten percent. Their funding gets cut, right? Which is bullshit, because at some point you can't do it, right? And even if you can, that's not the teacher's fault, right? You cannot. I've always said this: you cannot, you cannot teach people. You can show them the material, and they have to learn. They have to be willing to learn and wanting to learn, or they won't. Period. Right. Yeah. You know, there's nothing you can do uh, to force them to learn, but you can. Give it to them in a way, hopefully, that they would want to learn it and will remember it. Uh, so there's a guy, Bill Hammond, president of the Texas Association of Business, said schools are to blame for making testing onerous. Uh, he took out a full-page ad in the Austin American Statesman and sent letters to every state legisla- legislature criticizing school administrators who raised concerns about testing. Quote, all of the practice tests, drill and kill, are imposed by local administration. So if school boards don't want that, they should instruct their superintendents to stop this nonsense. It's as if they want no accountability or a Lake Wobegon accountability where every student is above average. But that's not the administrators. That's the people who are basing the funding off of the tests. Which most of those people that are giving the funding out are not educators, which right. is another <laughs> right. And, and this is what I've, this is what I hate about the way Texas is dealing with the standardized testing is it's not allowing the teachers to do their job mm-hmm. because the teachers are 
in front of those students every day, and they know if the kid knows it. Mm-hmm. You know, you if you deal with the kid all the time, you know whether they know if they're asking intelligent questions, or even on the the basic daily tests, or if they're coming to you afterwards. They should be the final arbiters in who passes and who fails, not. You know, oh, I give you a score of 78, or I give you a score right. of 94. Oh, this uh, this has been someone. a criticism of standardized testing for, for decades, decades of teaching to the test. Yes, and, and it's got it's gotten worse and worse, and it's just about to get worse. Right. <laughs> uh, they're saying it's going to get better. Now, I like the idea that rather than being a multiple choice test, you have to learn how to do Right. Do the problems because that actually will be a skill set that that is applied sort of across the board. However, it doesn't necessarily tell you who's good at taking tests, who can recall, because uh, some people can be very good at math and still not and not know the formula. Right. <laughs> the I I know that the way that the tax has been set up in the past, especially for math, is like if you're if they give you a multiplication problem, they're going to have the answer. The correct answer if you multiply it right. They're going to have the answer if you add it or if you subtract it or something like that to make sure that you're doing the problem, the right problem, and not just oh I see a bunch of numbers and I'm just going to. So it... it's it's very very frustrating. I'm sure as an educator. Yeah. The nice thing right now is they're getting backlash. Mm-hmm. Uh, a whole bunch of counties are saying no. This is this is will not do. They're, I think they're suing for them to not push this through. And allow them to start doing their own uh, reassessment or assessment of of the kids before they go. Um, I mean, because already you have to take the uh, SAT to get mm-hmm. into college. They can do that in their high school and take the test right. or the classes on how to take the test, <laughs> which is different from learning the material, on their own. Mm-hmm. If you want to go to college, you're going to take the SAT or be supported in that with by scholarships or whatever. Um, the whole point of having a standard education is that you are ready, not necessarily for college, mm-hmm. but ready for the real world. I will say the one that I like is I like the I think it's the Iowa standardized test because that one does not grade it. It doesn't assess you on do I know these five things about fifth grade math. It actually grades on a spectrum. You know, are you operating at a fifth grade level? Are you operating at a sixth grade level or whatever? It, it, it does a whole spectrum or are you doing so bad? You know, you're working down at a third grade level for this mm-hmm. student. And that's why a test like that is much more useful to an educator. I see. Right. So, so everybody gets the same test and you either know the hard stuff and, or don't know the hard stuff, but you know the easy stuff or don't know the easy stuff? It, ish. It bas- it, it's more of an ability of not just have you mastered you know these basic things. It is also can you apply and use stuff above your level. It's kind of like the SAT. It, the SAT has you know do you know certain basic things, but right. it also is it is a much broader range of okay. skills. Right. There's a huge huge error bars built into that. Right. Uh, the other thing is that these tests are also supposed to replace part of the grade. I think 15 percent, 15% of the grade is based on this test. So if even if you do great in class, you still won't be to get a good grade in the final because you aren't good at say testing. And I know 
there are a lot of people who are wishy-washy about the whole, oh, you know, you just don't know how to take a test. Well, some people really can't take a test. Well, there have been several incidents in, like, when Florida first implemented it, uh, they gave a couple of years where they were all like, okay, we're implementing the test, we're implementing the test, you know, the standardized testing. And I think that there was one um, valedictorian who didn't, who wouldn't have graduated because she failed the standardized test, yet she was still valedictorian. And she wasn't going to graduate (laughs) because she had failed the standardized tests. Because there are people who just have tests. Or had a problem the night before. There's all kinds of reasons why you wouldn't do well in a test. And all kinds of reasons why you should. I mean, a standardized test, some people are very good at taking standardized tests. If if you can afford to take the course and have the time, take the Mm -hmm. course on how to take the test, you can do very well on a test. Exactly. Well, since we're running short on time this week, um, I'm going to skip my main topic that I was originally going to do, uh, and I'm going to try to do a short primate sexy time segment. Okay. <laughs> so what this is is um, okay. over something. over the months that we've Thanks, done this man. podcast, <laughs> every once in a while we would talk about the woo system of the Kangen water. Woo! Woo! And almost every time either by mistake or, or on purpose, I would say, oh, the, the Kegel water? Right. And a couple, the last time we mentioned it, um, we were talked about, oh, you know, and, and, and I said, well, Kegel exercises for men and women. And one of you, I think it was Donna, maybe it was Gary, one of you, you said, no, 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 men don't do Kegel exercises. Yes, men can. Because <laughs> It's all you, about stopping your pee. <laughs> it's, it's all about the pelvic floor muscle which is both men and women have, and in both men and women, it can really be used to help deal with incontinence issues. But, um, you know, with the, the, it's also encouraged by sex educators for women for control of their bodies and in controlling their own pleasure. On men, it is still encouraged as something to do to help control ejaculation. So that you can last a little longer, you don't kind of finish in 30 seconds or something like that. Exactly like that. This is on silent, I have no idea. And the public service announcement is to find out where your Kegel muscles are. Next time you're going to the bathroom urinating, try to stop yourself from urinating. Those muscles that stop you from urinating and then start back up again because you really should finish because that would be bad for you if you didn't. Those muscles that start you and stop you from urinating, those are your Kegel exercise muscles. So if you want to exercise your Kegel muscles, find those muscles while you're doing going to the bathroom and then just when you're driving your car, just kind of squeeze and relax, squeeze and relax. And apparently another way to find out where your Kegel muscles are is, is I, I'm not sure how, but it, I saw it on a couple websites, sticking your own finger up your bum, and you can find your Kegel muscles that way as well. I'll leave that uh, one to you. So that's enough primate, primate sexy time for this week. Uh, I think we should... you by AdamandEve.com. <laughs> <laughs> and let's move on. Well, that brings us to this month's Songathon. Is that what we're calling it? No. <laughs> the, the generic name is kind of like monthly song contest or... Yeah, that's the Skeptic boring. Wire Singers. Oh, oh ugh, no. Go, Actually, we're, we're, we're about as good that deserves a name like that. The, the, 
the, the song challengeness of death. Of doom! <laughs> Songs of doom! doom. I, I guess we have our theme for next month. <laughs> or uh, December. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah, that'll be the 21st. All right, so... Uh, this month, Greg and I wrote uh, each wrote a song. We each wrote a song on the theme of drinking alcohol. Yes. Or, well, well, alcohol, I think, because this it's month happens to be St. Patty's Day, and that is, I think, the year's largest drinkery-ing time. It goes well up there with July 4th and, and New Year's Eve. As Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo is also true. a good one. So, I wrote a song. Actually... Uh, uh, to be fair, I cheated. Really? Yeah, I I had a song that I had written a long time ago because I was having real problems coming up with uh, a style. A jiggy. A style. jiggy. I, I I got about halfway through and it just I just wasn't interested in in what I was saying and I couldn't do what I did last month, which is a more technical explanation of how alcohol affects the body, which I'm still working on. But I need to come up I need to come up with the hook. I, I had that same me. kind of writer's block last month, so yeah. I'm right there with you, brother. Yeah. Fortunately, I have about 114 unfinished songs <laughs> <laughs> that I remember. So I, uh, I I took this one out of the archives and I finished it. So you helped me finish the song. Yeah. Helped me finish, finish the song. Um, mostly. So <laughs> yeah, I finally got the, the last verse and everything. Uh, and this song was is based on a true story. It's called Party on a Saturday Night, in which I had a party. <laughs> me and my girl at my house, and me and my girlfriend uh, hosted, and it was a it was a huge party. I had a pool. It was a pool party, and it went on. Monday was a holiday. <laughs> it went on all day Saturday. Uh, sorry, afternoon Saturday when people started showing up to the big blowout on Saturday night. Had a whole bunch of people sleep over because it was that kind of party. Um, because I didn't want them driving. Was and it a primate sexy time party? No, no, oh. no. It was passing out and not being able to drive party. Well, it still could have been primate sexy it time. Didn't. He just didn't oh, know. actually, actually, during that party, I think someone knocked the congas over onto a guitar <laughs> in a room they weren't supposed to be. It wasn't me. I was upset. Uh, I finished. It's called Party on a Saturday Night, and pretty much everything that. That is in there is true. So it's kind of like that that years long party from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy trilogy that yes turned into a flying building and just kept going and just people kept, kept bringing yeah. exactly and it, it does, became a life of its own. Yes, yes. Because uh, when everybody woke up, there was still beer in the keg, and they weren't going anywhere until it was gone. So they say over Sunday as well. Well, let's <laughs> let's take a listen. Let's take a listen. And I would like to point out that it does uh, mention the moat around the castle Carrymuir. That is in reference to the Ball of Carrymuir, which is a Scottish-type song about a ball where some aphrodisiac got put into the punch and great fun was had by all. I look up look up Ball of Carrymuir. Uh, and read it. Uh, read the See, lyrics. he did tie in Primate Sexy Time. I did. I did. <laughs> I did. So, here it is. Bing. A 
felt it when we started that this party was a real good time. I can tell by your expression that I'd have to try real hard to stay in line. I knew that you were waiting for a sign. In a burst of inspiration, I was telling you the night would turn out fine. The open door, the people and the music maintain a steady roar. The cakes beside the pool refilling mugs and drinks, clamoring for more. We never had so many guests before. The parking situation blocked the streets two miles to the store. Just a party on a Saturday night. All our friends pitching in to help the evening go right. Carried on until the next afternoon. It's too long to be host. I hope they're leaving soon. Broken bottles on the porch, plastic bags strewn in the lawn. People crashed out in the kitchen on the counters with their heads covered in bras. Don't worry about the group back in the back room in the bathroom with the cars. Just a party on a Saturday night. All our friends pitching in to help the evening go right. Carried on until the next afternoon. It's too long to be host. I hope they'll be leaving soon. You left before the clock showed two. You left me here with all this work to do. I felt it when it started that this party could go on forevermore. When you quickly change expressions, I can hear the police knocking at the door. Everyone was quickly reassured, and now I know the reason for the moat around the castle, Carimior. It's just a party on the next Sunday night. All the guests sleeping in, avoiding the light. It continued till we run out of brew. With more on the way, we won't be leaving soon. They said there's more on the way, so don't be leaving soon. It's too long to be host this weekend rendezvous. I hope you enjoyed it. Greg. Well, do you no, have any no, I you enjoyed my song. I'm just saying Greg as in... No, well, is you, it, well, you, Donna, okay, do you so, have any questions for Gary? You know, you say this is based on a true story and, yes. and everything else. Let's get into the true story of this of, of the party here. This is going to make for some great podcasting. How much <laughs> of the party do you actually remember? I remember all of it. I was, I was throwing the party, so I wasn't getting drunk because there were enough drunk people... Uh, gallivanting about, uh, taking off the clothes, jumping in the pool, uh, that kind of 
you know, just having a good time. Uh, in fact, the kind of place where people sneak into the studio and knock over congas onto my... <laughs> the kind of one where I wake up and, and someone is curled up on the island in the kitchen. <laughs> that kind of party. <laughs> Had a few of those. Yeah. Right. Did you and, a few of those. And one, and one of the guys that says... Uh, is curled up on the counter uh, with the head covered in bras, and that's because, <laughs> because uh, all the girls took their their uh, swimsuit tops and laid it over the guy because he passed out. <laughs> uh, we had a guy who passed out uh, sitting in a chair, and I remember waking up about 8 o'clock in the morning, um, and he was naked in the chair, and so we kept on just moving him back out of the sunlight because uh, he was on the porch. You know, up so from between eight o'clock and, and noon, we were trying to keep him from getting his nether regions burnt. So at least certain parts of him, you were trying to keep out of the sun. Uh, yeah, well, it turned out to so, be all of them. Yeah. You said that you had you had some problems writing a more scientific song this month, right? Um, was it just you weren't able to, you know, find the information, or just that there's, you know, you had trouble rhyming? I don't know. Alcoholic sugar. It doesn't work that way. It's no, no, no. Methyl alcohol. I had no problems really um, with portions of it. The the thing I couldn't get, I couldn't get the the hook. I couldn't get the groove. Um, I I had like I was talking with Greg about it about uh, two weeks uh, two weeks ago, and it was just I, I came up with five songs, and just none of them lent themselves to what I wanted to do with them. And yeah. I didn't want to force the issue. It's really easy to have that first kernel of an idea of a song and say, oh, okay, that'd be interesting to do a song about X. And then when you sit down to try to craft that, it's get there's like a certain hump you got to get past that once you once you get over that and you've got your structure for your verse of, oh, that's how I'm going to structure it and repeat that. Right. And, or, and, and a story. You need a, yeah, you need this is the arc. beginning, middle of an end. Yeah. Oh, now I get it. Once you get that, it's really easy to kind of, okay, that's the rhyme. I'm going to do this. Right. Ooh, that'd be a fun little quirky thing to say there. And that it's it's that middle portion that's always the problem. So the C and the A, B, A, B, A, B, C. <laughs> yeah, and, and plus, I, I don't really like writing one, four, five songs. Uh, you know, uh, uh, root, fourth, and then fifth, uh, which which is basically what you hear on the radio all the time. Oh, yeah. Effectively, you know, variations of, or, or, or the blues. I don't want to write a song kind of like that. Um and, so, you know, although that's exactly what I did on the previous song, but it, it fit. I, I got the hook. Sometimes I got the, groove. the style calls for it. Yeah, I, I got the group. And so I'm, all, I'm always looking for a way to get weird words in there and and just be a little bit, make, make the people think at least one point in the song go, what did he say? <laughs> and, you know, a little learning experience, whether it's a word or a concept. or. Okay, well, let's move on to Greg's song. Well, speaking of the you know one four five ness, and sometimes a, a a style just lends itself to that. I was going more for the the folk style of a song, um, and I actually stole an old folk tune and stuck it in the middle of my song, <laughs> which is the um, so the song's called "It's All You," and it's all about the idea of being someone who doesn't drink. 
I see all these people who say, oh, I need the drink to be creative or need the drink to relax enough to have sex with so-and-so. <laughs> wow, that person must be butt-ass ugly. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, no, that they, they're so inhibited that they can't relax enough to... For primate sexy time. Yeah, for more (laughs) than just missionary primate sexy time, that kind of thing. To really kind of let go and enjoy themselves. And, and also people who, yeah, so it, it came from that, that folk tune I stuck in the middle was this pretty well known folk tune called Whiskey Before Breakfast. So I thought it kind of funny to juxtapose those, but the, the, the kernel of the idea of this, of the song was about, Hey, you don't really need alcohol to have fun. If you can have fun on your own without alcohol, that's that that's the 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 important thing. And you so you don't have to have the alcohol. You can have it if you want, but it shouldn't be absolutely necessary. If you have fun, it's you because you can have fun, not because the alcohol is making it fun for you. Right. And at the end kind of added a twist to that which we will hear when um when the song plays. Um, it should be read about now. Just one thing before we play the song, which is uh, the the phrase GGG refers to good Genital giving... Genital rubbing? <laughs> no, that is an R. <laughs> well, G- GGR is the, the term in primate sexy town. <laughs> GGG is a uh, term coined by the podcaster and sex advice columnist Dan Savage, who also gave us Santorum. Uh, and saddlebacking. And saddlebacking. GGG stands for Good Giving and Game. So let's take a listen. St. Patty's only with the whiskey. The only way to party is with the Bacchus bounty. But who wants a drunk to come to there to do the balls to have a ball? It all comes down to you. The muse calls you to drink and feel you give to think. The talent for a line flows from that red wine. The pen don't make the art, forget that corkscrew. The art to making art, well, it all comes down to you. Thank you. 
to have the booze to light your lady's fuse. A shot of moonshiny to spank your honey's hiney. The hooch don't make you hot or get you past taboo. The way to be GGG, it all comes down to you. That spirit, can you lose the corset? You know, for that the fair Rapunzel at your hair. The fairy tales are best when the hero's true. The short of the story, it all comes down to you. Consider the song a success because while、well, you guys were listening to it, you were bopping your heads along with the tune, so that's good at least. Yeah, that's good. I know I do, and then it sticks in your damn head. <laughs> <laughs> then my work here is done. <laughs> well, like I said, I mean, I'm, I'm looking over the lyrics of your song, and I'm, I'm, I'm seeing references to like UB40 that you've <laughs> edited down. Yes, there was originally an idea of just, I mean, not necessarily red, red wine. <laughs> That, but just that, that is a common phrase, not necessarily just the song. So,、uh, what was different about this song? I, I, I know that last month you had real trouble getting behind the Valentine's Day song. And this one, you seem to have cranked out pretty quick. Pretty, pretty easily, is what I would it's, say. It's like I was saying when we were talking about what Gary went through, because I went through the same thing last just, month. Yeah, just the opposite. <laughs> the, the song I did last month, I'm fairly happy with, but. I came up with that three days before the show because I was just, I had to do something.、Uh, this one, it was just, I had the kernel of the idea. It actually started with that last verse talking about you don't need God to get over alcohol, just like you don't need alcohol to have fun. So those kind of ideas built together was the kernel of the song. And once I was, that allowed me to build. Kind of, I, I would base, started writing and writing and writing just whatever things might rhyme together. And then something eventually came together as a structure of, oh, this is how I can 
kind of have the same structure to the verse each time, where it's, you know, you say you need, you know, this kind of alcohol. Oh, I can use a different alcohol name for every verse, and that kind of hook or whatever. And and that just kind of was able to flow. And once I had that structure, I could repeat it because I knew what I was writing. And then that's the part I couldn't get with any of the song ideas I had for the Valentine's Day Challenge, which was, where am I going with this? I don't know. But this one, I could figure out, ah, this is where I want to get at the end. This is the kind of fun I want to have with it, like talking about spanking your honey's hiney, which is not only funny, but it's also kind of alliterative and fun with that, so... Well, at least you didn't say spanking your own monkey or something, so. <laughs> well, who really needs to drink alcohol to masturbate? I know several people. Well, they've got bigger problems than whether or not they're drinking. <laughs> so, like I said, we'll let the, you know, I don't really... The only difference between them and you, Greg, is you don't drink alcohol. <laughs> right, like I said, I'll be honest, this is where I figured you were going to have even more of a problem... Because of the fact that you are a teetotaler. Right. You know, and, you know, it is St. Patty's Day, which is, you know, National Day of Drinking. Well, I didn't have to write a song about the the joys of drinking. I can drink, my song is a commentary on drinking. So, so it seems like if this pattern recurs next month, I'm going to be fucked trying to think of a song. Well, and Gary's going to write it next week. Well, that was what I was going to ask both of you. What are the plans for for the April song? April song. Well, I, I I feel like I kind of suggested the last couple. I mean, they were fairly obvious, Valentine's Day and St. Patrick's Day. There's no obvious holiday for April. Yes, there is. Not late April by the time we'll get to finishing these recordings. <laughs> there's Easter. Oh, there's Easter. There's Easter, yeah. <laughs> I could Jesus write a song. Is coming, hide the eggs. I could write a song about that time I was in a grocery store and they said it was one in the afternoon. I like, will be closing in fifteen minutes. What the fuck are you talking about closing in fifteen minutes? It's one in the afternoon. Oh, it's Easter. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you were going to go with April Fool's Day, but we don't have to go with the holiday. It could be some random theme. It could be some randomly April. Thing like April showers bring May flowers. Could write about the weather. Could write about spring. That's true. Okay, next one's going to be about spring. Already. There we go. Any type of spring, like boing, boing, boing. I'll write it's about just, Tigger. It just says. Oh, actually, I have a better one for you. Yeah. Tax, tax season is over in April. Oh, taxes. With a lot of people happy. <laughs> End of tax season? Or beginning of the new tax season? <laughs> taxes in general. Taxes. Death and taxes. Death and taxes. Brings in Easter. <laughs> <laughs> I, I looked up April holidays, looked at the calendar, and first thing I saw, tax day. All right. Death and taxes. Death and taxes in Texas. All right. Next month, death and taxes. <laughs> Well, I guess that winds up our show for this evening. No, no. That brings us to the The lightning lightning round. No, actually, we're we're not going to do a lightning round. All right. So thanks for joining us this this, uh, week. I was going to say month. This week. (laughs) Um, Next week, 
It'll be... Uh, Greg's going to Skype in. Greg will Skype in, and I will I will be over here at... at, at uh, Ghost Studio. At Go Recording Studio. And then the week after that, I will be Skyping in. Yeah. We may do some kind of compilation of audio that we might get at the Reason Rally. We don't yes. know yet. If it's actually interesting stuff. Right. Well, you know, we might actually get that interview with, like, Tim Minchin or Eddie Izzard or something, so... Oh, you wish, sister. <laughs> hey, I have the boobs. All right. Go sell yourself wish- on the street, Donna. <laughs> I, I'm surprisingly... I work in the entertainment industry. I do that every day. <laughs> she is a producer. She can go elbow her way up and go, and, you know... She'll creepily walk up to him and say, can I film you sometime? You know, yes. surprisingly enough, that actually really does get me into places. <laughs> I can put you All right, on that, uh, we'll uh, see you guys next week. Or actually, we won't see you. because We'll hear you next podcast. week. They'll hear us. You will hear us. So if they don't see us, they're not going to see me waving them goodbye Pretty right now? Much. Oh, okay. And in fact, I wouldn't even pick up on the microphones, despite their sensitivity. Uh, unless, unless you have a qu- creaky elbow. I'll just blow on the mic. Okay. That was not a primate sexy talk. <laughs> well, the mic suddenly got larger. <laughs> the microphone or teacher mic? Microphone. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I am pretty sure that you are not teacher mic's type. I could try harder. I'm... So long, everybody. Yay, I won the awkward (laughs) silence. The Skeptic Wire podcast theme music is by Oscar Lawn with guest mandolin by Greg Perrine. If you've enjoyed listening to The Skeptic Wire, leave a review on iTunes or leave us a voice message by the Podposting app for iPhone. Friend us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at The Skeptic Wire. Follow our blog at skepticwire.blogspot.com or send us an email, skepticwire at gmail.com. You've been listening to The Skeptic Wire. What drives me insane are some of the rules, though. They have bathroom monitors. Well, yeah. The rules rules make sense from the point of view that you don't want anybody cheating or, or getting... It make perfect, absolute perfect sense when you need to have control over these people all day. Mm-hmm. They're stringent and they're annoying and, and in some ways they're quite horrible, but they make sense. <laughs> I mean, yeah, when I was taking the GRE, you know, you had to go to the bathroom, you had to get the, the monitor, you had to go to the bathroom. I'm a 42-year-old guy asking me to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Gail, and I gotta go potty. I go potty. <laughs> so. Someone yeah. hands you a water bottle and says, pee in this. Fortunately, should I let that happen? All right. Well, th- th- yeah, yes, sir. I was just wondering if we should include something in the beginning, introducing Mike, rather than putting it at the end. Yeah, who the hell are you? <laughs> Where did you come from? Nobody significant. I thought you were trying again. Do it again. Do it again. Come on. Do it again. <laughs> What did you say? Huh? What was that, Greg? <laughs> Consider the success? Is that what you said? I'm not going to start until you <laughs> stop so I can give you an edit break, you fucker.
So, at one level, at least, I consider the... So at least at one level, I consider the song a success because while you guys were listening to it, you were bopping your heads along with the tune. So that's good, at least. Yeah, that's good.